This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Conquering Columbus podcast, and this is your co-host, Mike. Today on the show, Josh and I sat down with Amy Shore, Executive Vice President and Chief Customer Officer of Nationwide. It's a nice change of pace for us from our more typically startup-focused show. And during the early part of the episode, we asked Amy about why she chose Nationwide and what really matters to her when looking for a job. One of the most important things, even when you're young and you're focused on feeding your family and paying for daycare and buying a house and paying your mortgage, working at a place where there's an alignment with your personal values really matters. And I recognized early on in my relationship with Nationwide that there was just a values alignment that really meant a lot. You can't put a price tag on that. The type of corporate citizen that Nationwide is in the communities where they have offices, and then the purpose of restoring people's lives when something bad happens or helping people prepare for and live in retirement. Later, we ask her about what it really means to be a chief customer officer. Saying you're a chief customer officer is almost like saying your ice cream at Jenny's because there's so many different kinds of ice creams at Jenny's and they constantly are reinventing it. And that's basically what you see as chief customer officers. It's the person who has to get up every day thinking about the customer and thinking like the customer and then holding the whole organization accountable for making customers' lives better through the mission of your company. We wrap up the show talking about the importance of data for Amy and her team and how they are using all the different types of data that get put in front Data isn't helpful until it's turned into insight. And then insight doesn't matter until you take action on it. So we've put some tools in place to help us assimilate the data, understand what's most important. And then through the lens of the business strategy, you decide what are you going to take action on? We had a great time talking with Amy and learning more about Nationwide. That's all for me. Let's dive right into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. There's Josh. This is the show. Josh, what's going on? Not much, dude. Tried Just, something a little different there, huh? You like it? Yeah, that, no? was, that was real nice. That was a really good opener. Nothing, dude. I had a great weekend. I haven't been here for like a week and a half. Mm-hmm. This weekend uh, mm-hmm. it was good. I traveled to Chicago to see Chris Stapleton concert, who is absolutely amazing singer. Super good. Not a great entertainer. He kind of looks like he's sleeping when he's on stage, but he's talented enough to make up for it. And then my travel back was an absolute nightmare, but I'm back in beautiful Columbus now. And You're going to regret saying those things if Chris Stapleton is listening right now. Oh, well, yeah, he does consistently listen to this he podcast tunes in the for sure. Columbus so a lot. <laughs> I'm probably going to get a hate mail from him. He's always bothering me via email and mail and calling me. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, you know, it's it's what I'm. he needs to get better. And yeah. I just wanted him to know that. Well, you know, that's fair. That's fair. But on that note, I think it's a good time to pivot to talking about our guest because Chris Stapleton has nothing to do with Columbus, but our guest does. So today on the show, we're talking with Amy Shore, and she is the Executive Vice President and Chief Customer Officer at Nationwide. And Amy has over 30 years of experience in the PNC industry, including over 20 years in varying leadership positions at Nationwide. She has leadership experience in a variety of business functions, including sales, underwriting, product and pricing, customer service, and general management. And she has served as executive sponsor for the Nationwide All Women's Associate Resource Group and national chair of the company's United Way campaign. So we're looking forward to get to talk with Amy about her story working at Nationwide and all of the initiatives she and her team are working on today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus. Amy. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us as well. And it's exciting to have you here. And I think potentially the first person we've ever had from Nationwide. I do think so. Now we've had people who have worked at Nationwide and gone on to do other things, but 
first active person from Nationwide. So excited to have I you. I feel honored then. And I also have seen Chris Stapleton. I saw him on New Year's Eve in Nashville a few years ago. And I might have been sleepier than Chris, so I thought he was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nashville is probably a different vibe. I bet that was an amazing experience. It was. It was. Yeah. Well, one of the first places we like to start, Amy, is just get a little background on yourself and kind of your story and how you got to where you are today. And to start, you know, we talked earlier before the show we were talking, you haven't always lived in Columbus, have you? So can you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. So Columbus is the place I've lived longest in my life. So it feels like home, Mm -hmm. but I have been a bit of a wanderer. I grew up in Southwest Michigan and then I came to go to Bowling Green State University here in Northwest Ohio my alma mater. I serve on the board of trustees there now. And then after I graduated from Bowling Green, I started this corporate nomad journey around the mid-Atlantic. So Michigan, Ohio, North Carolina, Ohio, North Carolina, Virginia, Ohio. And so Ohio stuck. Here I am in Columbus. And now we've been here for over 20 years and it feels like home and we love Columbus. And how did that jump back and forth? Because I'm highly considering maybe a move to North Carolina over the last few months. Is Ohio hands down your favorite or is it the favorite because of relationships and opportunities? How did that all play out? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. My weekend favorite is North Carolina because you've got the beach, you've got the mountains, you've got four seasons, you've got just so many things to see and do. Virginia was fabulous as well. But, you know, here's home. This feels like home. I'm, you know, very proud to work for Nationwide and the career that I have here and the friends that we've made here who have become family. When you move around a lot, you get good at making a new place home and making friends and getting ingrained in the community. I work with the Columbus Symphony and love all of the things we have in the arts community here in Columbus. So, you know, this is home. You wrap up at Bowling Green. I'm actually from not too far from there, a little bit northeast. And then you find your way into the professional world. How does that all begin to unfold in the early days? So when I graduated from Bowling Green, let me back the bus up. Between my junior and senior year there, I did an internship at Research Triangle Park, North Carolina, with a IBM manufacturing facility, and I moved in next door to this adorable young man. His name was Alan Shore. Hmm. And so as I was graduating from college, I did the totally responsible adult thing and turned down really solid job offers Mm -hmm. and moved to North Carolina where I had no job to be with Alan Shore. Now, today is our 36th wedding anniversary. Today? Like as in right now today? And you're here doing a podcast with us? Yeah, because he's home cooking. Nice. There you (laughs) go. Congratulations. So the story has a happy ending. But I moved to North Carolina to, based on the promise of what that relationship was going to become and got into the insurance business in Raleigh, working for a company called Great American Insurance, Mm -hmm. which is where the Reds play. Most people don't even realize if you're not into sports that their ballpark is named for an insurance company, not a patriotic park. Right, the Great American ballpark. Exactly. So I worked for them and then decided to really attach my future to a company where I was going to be able to flourish and stay Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about who was going to be acquiring who or be acquired by who. And that's the journey that led me to Nationwide. Okay. So when you got to Nationwide, then it sounds like you were really looking for kind of a long-term home for your career. Yes, I was. And I knew that needed to be at a Fortune 100 company Mm -hmm. that was going to offer a variety of opportunity. When you are a nomad and you're adventuresome and you're used to trying new things, smaller firms are harder unless you're the boss because you just run out of room. And I needed a place where I knew I wasn't going to run out of room Mm -hmm. for the opportunity to do new things. 
Yeah. So you were looking for a place where you could kind of continue to grow and develop and have a lot of chances for more challenges and new things. And you found that at Nationwide. But at the same time, you probably wouldn't have stayed there if it wasn't a good environment, if it didn't have a good culture and a good opportunity to grow, right? Just having those growth paths doesn't mean that it's a good one or that it's a good fit for your skill set. So what in those early years really drew you to want to continue on that path at Nationwide? I think that one of the most important things, even when you're young and you're focused on feeding your family and paying for daycare and buying a house and paying your mortgage, working at a place where there's an alignment with your personal values really matters. And I recognized early on in my relationship with Nationwide that there was just a values alignment that really meant a lot. And you can't put a price tag on that. So the alignment with the values, the type of corporate citizen this sounds so corny, the type of corporate citizen that Nationwide is in the communities where they have offices, and then the purpose of restoring people's lives when something bad happens or helping people prepare for and live in retirement. It just works. What you said kind of struck a nerve with me because I think that, you know, coming out of college, the advice that a lot of people gave you was stay at your first job at least a year, no matter what it is, whatever job you get, if it's terrible, if you hate the culture, you got to stay at least a year. And I think that's just bad advice because like you said, you can't put a price tag on a company sharing the same values as you. And if you get there and you realize that this is not in line with my values and the way I want to grow, you're wasting a year right? You're wasting that year. And I don't know if the advice is strong these days, because I do know from hiring a lot of folks in that age bracket now that they are not afraid to jump if they don't think it's a good opportunity. But I think that it's important to recognize like, hey, if if there's not a good fit culturally, then you got to get away from it. Mm -hmm. And people join companies, but they leave people. Mm -hmm. So how long were you in insurance before you joined Nationwide at this point? So I worked for Great American for 10 years. And during that 10 year period of time, my daughter and my son joined our family. My husband became a stay-at-home dad. We were a non-traditional family before it was a thing. So as the sole breadwinner for my family, the career decisions I was making was based on paying for college and retirement and all of those things you have to think about for your future. And so the stakes were raised. And what were you focusing on within those 10 years? Did you find your niche? I mean, in the beginning of the intro, we talked about you've been to so many different areas of the business. Did you begin to find one area where you really thrived and enjoyed being and you were doing really well at? You know, I I have been so lucky. The right thing has come at the right time in my career repeatedly. And I think part of it is just being open to the opportunities and saying, yes, I'll give that a try. And knowing that if you fail, I've always had this mentality, I could have another job tomorrow. Now, it wouldn't be the perfect job and I wouldn't be a millionaire, but I grew up in a modest household where I've done just about anything you can do to make minimum wage. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have that fear then you can say yes to a lot of things. I might have just rambled and not even answered your original question. (laughs) No, I I think you did. I mean, just talking about taking the opportunity as it arises, and it actually pivots into what I was going to ask for the next question too, which was centered around, what do you think helped separate you or helped you distinguish yourself as you continue to grow your career? And did you see yourself as a C-level executive or were you just enjoying the opportunity and saying where it goes, it'll go? Yes, I did. Now, did I necessarily always believe it was going to happen? And did I have some sense of an imposter syndrome along the way? Most people would be lying to you if they said no. And it wasn't a straight line path. It was a crooked path. But I had goals set out for myself in my 30s and in my 40s of what I wanted to achieve. And I saw myself sitting in the C-suite of a Fortune 100 company, you know, as a dream. But the other thing is I had had a really terrific life all along the way and a terrific family. So it was never going to be a point of failure if it didn't happen because I have a great life and I have so many things to be thankful for. Yeah. So let's talk about CCO, Chief Customer Officer. What exactly does it mean to be a Chief Customer Officer? Because (laughs) I 
got a feeling I have an idea, but I also bet my shoe that I have no idea of the entirety of what it covers. So when our current CEO, Kurt Walker, became the CEO and they reached out to me and said, we're going to create a chief customer officer role. Would you be interested? Mm -hmm. You may even know me well enough by now to know what I said, which was yes. Mm -hmm. And then I had to Google, what is a chief customer officer and what does one do? And what I learned is this, and I am going to answer your question, but I'm going to answer it in two ways. Saying you're a chief customer officer is almost like saying your ice cream at Jenny's Mm -hmm. because there's so many different kinds of ice creams at Jenny's and they constantly are reinventing it. And that's basically what you see is chief customer officers. About 25% of Fortune 500 companies have one and they play very different roles in different companies. The simplest way I could describe it to you is this. It's the person who has to get up every day thinking about the customer and thinking like the customer and then holding the whole organization accountable for making customers' lives better through the mission of your company. So it sounds like that you would be, you know, whereas, for example, a chief revenue officer is very focused on revenue and all the things that tie into that, right? As the chief customer officer, you're probably interacting and engaging with almost every department. Absolutely. And especially at Nationwide, where the experiences are delivered by the business owners, I'm really working to help influence the culture, to make it a customer-centric culture, and then elevate capabilities that we have in place so the tide can raise everybody's boats. And a great example is having a really robust voice of the customer program. And what that really means is, can you honestly look at yourself from the outside in? Mm -hmm. You guys have such a vast array of products and services that you're offering to your customers, though. So how does one begin to segment those and put themselves in the shoes of those different customers when it spans such a wide breadth. Yes, you are correct. And it's really about that voice of the customer program I was mentioning and making sure we have the right listening posts to break it down for each of those lines of business. Because what's on the minds of farmers, we're the largest insurers of farms and ranches in America, and what's on the minds of pet owners, because we're also the largest insurer of pet health insurance in America, two very different things. And so understanding how they're experiencing us and how they're feeling about the experiences with us. You know, you can measure feeling through things like surveys, social media, interviews, focus groups. You can measure outcomes through transactional data. And then the ultimate measure, though, is are you growing customers? Are they staying longer and are they buying more? Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. I'm imagining that you're probably tracking a lot of statistics like customer churn and satisfaction surveys. And I'd also imagine that you have a ton of data to look at on any given day. How are you making sense of that? Because I can't even imagine the number of inputs that you must be looking at and slicing and dicing and having to kind of make sense of. 
Well, and it's funny because when I first came into the role, I would describe it as kind of data, data everywhere, but not a drop to drink because mm-hmm. data isn't helpful until it's turned into insight. And then insight doesn't matter until you take action on it. So we've put some tools in place to help us assimilate the data, understand what's most important. And then through the lens of the business strategy, you decide what are you going to take action on? Because there might be some things that are more like a pebble in your shoe. Mm -hmm. It's annoying, but it might not be the thing you have to fix first. So understanding what to fix first or where to leapfrog your competitors matters. Right. Kind of like that squeaky wheel gets the grease phrase, right? Sometimes it's not the squeaky wheel that's the problem. It just happens to be squeaking right now. (laughs) Exactly. And we want to talk a little bit about the great resignation. Before we jump into that topic, I just want to maybe talk one more question about your career path and look back and you see somebody in the C-suite, especially of a Fortune 100 company, and you only sit in that moment, right? So you don't see the struggles and the challenges along the way. And you mentioned the imposter syndrome, and I think that's huge, especially for our listenership. So when you look back, are there certain times that stick out to you as more challenging that were difficult to make it through where you really struggled in your career? So one of the constant struggles I think all of us have, and a lot of times this gets attributed to women, but I think it's women and and men is the struggle you have where you're trying to really reach a balance in the life you want to have at home and the life you want to have at work. Now, I was very fortunate that I have just an amazing husband and he was such a terrific partner on this journey. But, you know, that struggles in parenting, the struggles in work, the struggle where I've traveled extensively my whole career, 100 nights a year or so up in in the olden days Mm pre-COVID, sitting in the hotel room feeling guilty you're not home or at home feeling guilty you're not out on the road making sales calls. So I think that balance is just a fine art. And at the end of the day, people have to give themselves grace. No one is going to get it perfect. But guess what? My kids are high-functioning, fantastic adults now. I don't know that they're in significant therapy, so I think it worked out okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's an important concept. The other thing that stands out to me, and I don't have children, but one of the things that I always was grateful for was my parents always gave me the space to screw up, to fail, to learn, and make my own decisions. And I think that that's so important. We don't give kids enough credit, right? And while you're feeling guilty to be out in a way, they're probably thinking, hey, I'm proud of my parents for going out and kicking butt and giving me a good life, you know, to a certain extent. So I I just don't think we give kids enough credit. You're absolutely right. And one of the things that when people ask me for career advice or parenting advice, I'll say that your kids are capable of a lot more than you believe that they are. And capable of understanding more than you think they are. Yes. I'll tell you a funny story. I'll never forget one time. We are a team. The family's success is based on teamwork. My son turns 16. You have a driver's license now. Here's a grocery list. And you're going to do the family grocery shopping. And your kids never call you. And he actually called me at work. And I thought, oh, God, this can't be good. And I step out to answer. I'm, hey, Bob, what's going on? He goes, Mom, on the grocery list was pink ladies' razors. I'm standing in the razor aisle. Do you realize how many kinds of pink ladies' razors there are? This is awful. Oh my God. How do you make a, it doesn't matter. Pick one, throw it in the cart, move on. (laughs) And it's just, it's just a microcosm of just trust your kids, give them the opportunity and help them realize very few mistakes are fatal. In his defense, that's me in the grocery store. As soon as there's (laughs) like, okay, I'm getting XYZ thing. There's 20 of those. I'm like, all right, I got to call Shannon. Call the wife. I don't want to screw this up. <laughs> so I get that. I get that a lot. But like Josh mentioned, we're going to kind of move towards a couple of other topics here. And one of them being, obviously, there's been a lot of hubbub in the early half of 2022 about this great resignation where there's a lot of people who are realizing, hey, we've got a lot of remote work. There's a lot of opportunities available. Maybe starting to see the decline of that with 
some worries about a recession on the rise, but still question remains, how are you guys adapting to these changing needs, especially after COVID and everything else that's gone on? You and I were talking earlier, hey, is everybody back at the office nationwide? What are you guys doing to kind of adapt and change and continue to develop? And how quickly can an organization like Nationwide really make those types of changes? I think that we have all amazed ourselves in how quickly we've had to adapt to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. We did experience a surge in turnover, not nearly to the extent that you could have seen in some other industries. And we're actually almost back to where we were pre-COVID levels. But I'd say the number one thing we've done is embrace flexibility and helping put people in a position to make a decision about their work environment that's best for them. Mm -hmm. Now, there are certain jobs we need you in the office to do, but about 55% of our workforce is permanent work from home. We have about 15% that are in the office, and then everyone else is in a hybrid schedule, and that they work it out with their team and with their manager how they're going to work together, and they might come in one, two, three, four days a week. Now I'm curious, how has that impacted productivity, if at all? You know, we actually had our best year in the history of the company in 2021. Now, it's not for everyone, so I don't want to paint this picture that it's been perfect for everyone. Some people like it at first and then opt out. I think, too, it's a little bit easier for people to job hop when all they have to do is mail their laptop back to us and receive in the mail somebody else's laptop. But we are not seeing a decline in productivity. So how does that translate into culture? So we talk about, you know, building a great culture, attracting great talent, also maintaining that, well, not everybody is in the office. And maybe it's kind of mythical that you control culture better when everybody's directly next to each other. You know, it might be just as easy with the remote setup, but how have those two elements played together? We've really been as intentional about investing in the culture as we have in technology and digitization and, you know, digital transformation. The culture investment is alive and well. We just have to adapt. In some ways, I think the information has been democratized because before we might have restricted access to information to the 200 people that could fit in an auditorium or the 20 people that could fit in a conference room. And now we regularly have interactions where we will be interacting with 10 to 15 to 20,000 people, you know, directly from the mouth of the CEO. So there's more transparency, there's more frequency. And again, like I said, democratized. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that, you know, as you guys continue to scale, It'll be curious to see with recession on the horizon, potentially, maybe even in the midst of one, mm-hmm. depending on the data that we get on Thursday this week. What challenges do you foresee coming up for Nationwide? Well, you know, I will talk about our industry. So on the property and casualty side of the house, one of the challenges facing the industry is what's going on with supply chain and with inflation. While supply chain has eased in some areas, it's still pretty tough regarding things that have motors. So something as simple as a side view mirror, again, before the technology that exists today might have been really easy to get guess what? That side view mirror is now computerized because it's got blind spot detectors in it. So replacement parts are harder to come by. And then you have the labor shortage. So you might have the parts, but the person that was going to drive the truck to deliver the part to the body shop that needed it, oh, he quit too. (laughs) Or she quit too. So supply chain, labor shortages, and then inflation are just impacting our business. The other thing, I'll pivot over to the the financial services side of the house. When you have volatility in the stock market, you end up having a volatility in the results that financial services companies produce. Now, we've got some great programs in place that hedge against that and that help our customers make good decisions about their futures. But, you know, those are real challenges that our industry is facing right now. Anybody that's considering a career at a company like Nationwide, whether it's Nationwide in particular, another larger company, rather than jumping into the startup ecosystem or one of those smaller companies, would you have any advice for them as you look back on your career and as you look at the team that you currently have nationwide? 
First of all, I would say you own your own destiny. We're all free agents. I use the example often now about the transfer portal. Now, some people don't get that one. They're like, well, I don't know what a transfer portal is. So I've got to stop using that one. But, you know, we're all free agents. You own your own destiny and just never forget that you own your own future. But to go to work for a big company, look for that values match like we talked about earlier. Is this company the kind of company I'm going to be proud to work for? And do they have a track record of demonstrating you can move around? Who's in the C-suite? Who's at those next layers down? Have they demonstrated? through actions, not words, that this company supports moving people around and elevating them. And do you see people like you? You know, we've got a terrific, terrific track record for diversity and inclusion and an inclusive culture. So I think I've rattled on that one enough. Yeah, solid (laughs) advice. And then what about your personal goals with the company, though? I mean, you've reached a lifelong dream that you weren't ever sure, you know, you could actually attain and you're at this great position. It sounds like both personally and professionally. What do you want moving forward and where do you see yourself for the next couple of years? Well, you know what? I'm still young in my CCO career. So the amazing thing about this is it rejuvenated me. And, you know, this is going to seem ancient to you guys, but I feel like I'm in my 40s again Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I have the opportunity to invent something new, build something new and make a permanent stamp on this company for the benefit of our customers. So I'm terribly excited about that. We're just continuing to mature those capabilities. I shared with you earlier that I'm also involved with the Columbus Symphony, very excited about the work we're doing here in Columbus. And then I'm on the board of trustees at my alma mater, Bowling Green State University. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. So I'm a strong proponent of making sure that we continue to support higher education here in Ohio. Fantastic. And I'm going to ask one more question related to your current role, which is someday you'll no longer be the CCO. What Mm -hmm. do you hope that the team at Nationwide sees that CCO role as when you leave? What do you hope kind of your legacy is in that role? Well, I think the ultimate goal is I hope they replace the role and they don't go, oh, well, we didn't need one of those after all. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that I've done the right job in elevating people to say, we have two or three great candidates who could fill that job Mm -hmm. and take it to even higher level. Love that. Yeah, elevating others is something that is very, very fulfilling. And for those of you out there listening, if you get a chance to coach or manage or teach or train other people, I really cannot encourage it enough. Amy, I think that's a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions of the show. So we've kind of already asked if you have any advice. And actually, so I'm going to skip right over the advice question and jump into our last question of the show, which is based on the theme here at Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase when we're interviewing a lot of people who have climbed a long way in their lives, what do you think of when you hear it has a to your life and career? You know, I actually intentionally put myself in situations that make me feel either a little fear or a little uncomfortable. So things like this. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about something like this. You know, this doesn't come natural. Also activities with my kids. I think having adult children is the best thing in the world. So my daughter owns and operates a horse boarding and training facility where they rescue thoroughbreds. So she asked me to go riding with her. I go riding with her. Anything that makes you feel fear and a little bit of uncomfortable, now not ridiculous. We raced exotic cars in Vegas together with my son when he graduated from college. Might be silly examples, but it's not every day when you live the blessed life that we all live that we get the opportunity to say, what am I gonna do that's gonna put me in a situation where I'm really uncomfortable? Fantastic. And Amy, you said it's not natural to you, but you seem like natural. It's been great talking to you. (laughs) And I've really enjoyed the time and learning more about you and Nationwide. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode, you want to hear more just like it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. We release every Monday. That'll make sure you don't miss another episode. Thanks so much for your support. We'll talk to you next week.